met him, I guess last year, on the, you know, via the phone, and then he brought a conference to San Antonio, and he's just a great guy. And I ask you all to keep him in your prayers, because all the work we're doing to, to help build up the body of Christ doesn't quite sit well with the devil, so he does whatever he can to make it hard for us. But hey, praise God, and everything, praise God. His name is Joe McLean, also known as the Catholic Hack. He's so well known that many of you all you know, know some of his story. Joe grew up in the Church of Christ. It's not a Catholic church, but the Church of Christ. He fell away and became agnostic in his teens. And then he joined the Catholic Church at Easter Vigil in 1999. And he attributes his real conversion to a spring day in 2008. So fairly recent. That's awesome. Oh, it's eight years ago. I have it backwards. 2002, eight years ago. <laughs> when he got on his knees and let go and let God, and God directed him to where he is now, has been holding his hand ever since, and, and just so thankful for everything that's happened in his life. His marriage was in ruins, and he was out of work, and he had a history and decades of uh, addiction to pornography. That spring day, God granted him a moment of clarity and set him on a journey to sexual integrity and home to the Catholic Church. Since that day, Joe has sought to use his passion, and it's a passion of his, you can tell when he talks, and aptitudes solely for the glory of God, that others might free themselves from the slavery of pornography. Joe is married and has four children here on earth and three in heaven. He and his wife, Michelle, spent three years teaching sexuality to pre-Cana couples in the Diocese of New Hampshire. So he's got some history there, too. Joe is a frequent contributor to radio talk shows, podcasts, and sites like whodoesithurt.com. And Joe is a Catholic new media producer, podcaster, radio show co-host, and evangelist. He works full-time planning Catholic conferences for the Fullness of Truth Catholic Evangelization Ministries in Houston. They go all over Texas, San Antonio, Dallas, Corpus, you name it. They do great work. But without further ado, I want to introduce you to a friend of mine, Joe McLean. And take notes. Good stuff. Good afternoon. Just to let you know, the lighting in here makes it appear as though I'm 200 pounds heavier than I really am. And I'm not really balding either, just so you know. My motto on my website is at catholichack.com is to be the donkey upon which Jesus rides today. Because in the book of Numbers, chapter 22, our Lord caused the jackass that Balaam was riding to speak for his purposes. I once heard it said that if Samson could slay 10,000 with the jawbone of a jackass, imagine what he could do with a complete jackass like me. Some of the sweetest words I have ever read in sacred scripture, occur in St. Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, verse 2. We read, This man receives sinners and eats with them. We will do that later on, right here at Holy Mass. And our Lord receives us and then gives us his flesh and his blood as life for our world. But those words ring so powerful in my life. For indeed, I am a sinner. 
In that same chapter in Luke's Gospel, chapter 15, our Lord goes on to say in verse 10, Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. That is good news for a guy like me. The very next verse, our Lord goes on to tell those Pharisees and those scribes who couldn't handle the mercy of God on sinners about a man who had two sons. And he said, there is a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me my share of the property that falls to me. And he divided his living among them. The son asked for his inheritance in an untimely fashion. He took from his daddy what wasn't right to take at the time. Before his father was even dead. Dad, I'm not willing to wait. You need to die now. I want what's coming to me. I did the same thing. I took my inheritance from my father in an untimely fashion. My father served in the United States Army for 21 years. And back in 1980, we were stationed here at Fort Sam Houston. I was six years old. And I remember my father's behaviors were seemed very strange to a young boy. Doing things to my mother that just didn't seem right. Subjecting her. Abusing her. Treating her like an object for his personal satisfaction. Needless to say, this led to a divorce. I didn't see my father on a regular basis for years. But what I did see, when I did see my father, was women. All these strange women. Who were these women? Why are you so familiar with these strange women? That's not my mother. I was hurt. I was devastated. And maybe it was all of the sexual paraphernalia that I found around my father's house. Oh, there's that old, the joy of sex resource with all its very graphic illustrations that I would read at six and seven and eight years old. By the time I was eight years old, I had my own stash of porn. I'll never forget, I was a student at Stahl Elementary, just down the street from Madison High School. And a buddy of mine, we were hoarding a Hustler magazine. I let him take it for the day. He got caught. He dimed me out. Oh, no, it's not my magazine, Mr. Principal. That's Joe's. I'll never forget how angry my mother was to be called to the school because her son had a Hustler magazine. And I got grounded. My backside was tanned. But nobody ever told me why it was wrong. Oh, it's wrong. But why? Nobody would take the time to show me. I was in Sunday school at MacArthur Park Church of Christ. Oh, premarital sex is wrong. The Bible said so. Really? Why? Oh, well, it's just in there. You, just, you need to believe it. My entire formation on sexuality, on love, on the value of women is based solely 
on pornography. All I ever knew about what sex is, in my mind, was dirty. But it felt so good. You see, I found pornography. I inherited my porn addiction at such a young age from my father. And my stepfather, because you see, my mother, she was married three times by that point. Oh, he was thoroughly addicted too. And I found his porn tapes. Ten years old, I'm watching them as often as possible every single day. Masturbating, viewing, sharing, hoarding. At ten years old. Needless to say, you can imagine how confused and how demented my worldview became so early on. Our Lord goes on to say in verse 13, Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took his journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property on loose living. And when he had spent everything, a great famine arose in that country, and he began to be in want. By the time I'm a teenager at Judson High School, right here in this town, it was my sole mission in life to conquer women. I wanted to have sex as much and as often as possible with as many girls as possible. And the young ones, oh, they were easy prey. I can tell you of a young girl, freshman, when I was a, a senior, she desperately wanted to impress me. I was in pretty good shape back then. I would lie, I would cheat, steal, manipulate, connive, I didn't care. I wanted their bodies. They wanted acceptance. They wanted to know that they were loved and cherished. I wanted their flesh. And so it was a pretty good exchange. She gave me her virginity. I stole it from her. That gift, which should have been given to her husband in a covenant marriage, was taken from her. Because in my mind, she was not a human being. She was not a person to be loved, to be cherished, to be truly and deeply felt and understood. She was a commodity to be consumed like a Coke can, that when I was done drinking it, I would crush the can and throw it into the garbage because it had no value to me. It served its purpose. And when I was done with her, and she tried to say, well, look, see what I've done for you? See what I'm willing to do for you? I'm willing to meet your needs. I said, yeah, that's great. It was fun, but no, really, there's another girl that I'm more interested in. I wonder where she's at today. I wonder how much of her life that I am responsible for that I will one day find out the hard way, the fruit of my work. At 17, the first Gulf War broke out. I was gung-ho. I wanted to serve my country like my daddy. I signed up for the Marine Corps. My mother had to sign me over because I was too young. But I talked her into it. And then Staff Sergeant Simmons from the local recruiting office came and picked me up, sent me off to San Diego, California for boot camp. I spent three months 
working my tail off, proving to my father, who didn't think I could accomplish boot camp, Marine boot camp, tried to talk me out of it. But no, I was going to show him. You see, that was always my problem, trying to show my father, because I thought this would make him proud. My father had hundreds of girlfriends. I was going to be 10 times the man my father was. My father was in the Army. Well, I'll be in the Marine Corps. My father's tough. I'll be tougher. I wanted to show my father the kind of man that I was made in his image and his likeness. I graduated number one out of 450 Marines. I was the company honor man. My name was in lights. My parents, both of them, came and watched me graduate to receive that honor. It meant a lot. And I remember that day as we fell out, I, I wanted to go back to the barracks. I felt this need to, to fall in and, and go to chow with the rest of the platoon. But there, no, you have to leave. You have orders in hand. You need to go about your, your duty. What? Uh, you're not going to tell me what to do and when to do it? I, I'm now free to go out into the world? In a lot of respects, I was let loose on the world because my worldview did not change. Oh, I had discipline and, and some honor, for sure. I, I knew what it meant to work hard, to, uh, to take a beating and to do a thousand push-ups. But I didn't know what it meant to live in this world as the way God intended from the very beginning. So they sent me out into the world, and I went through duty stations like Camp Pendleton and Tustin Marine Corps Air Station and Millington, Tennessee, where I promptly snuck away for Mardi Gras in New Orleans, and, which I barely remember, by the way, and I can't tell you what her name was either. Then I was sent to Kaniwe Bay, Hawaii, not a good place if you're a guy like me, a predator. Lots of good-looking chicks in Kaniwe Bay, Hawaii, and they don't like to wear clothes all that often. Most of my fellow Marines were also addicted to porn. We shared it in the barracks with one another. We even shared girlfriends on occasion. Most of my friends, well, not most, but I had quite a few friends in the Marine Corps who even before the age of 21 were addicted to alcohol. Some of them had drug problems. You see, the Marine Corps wasn't going to be our mommy and daddy. The Marine Corps wasn't going to say, oh, you shouldn't do that. The Marine Corps, as much honor and integrity as it does possess, expects you to do your job. And if you screw up, you will be held to an account. But they're not going to stop you from screwing up. You have to be man enough to do that for yourself. Only we were not men. And so while they were drinking themselves into oblivion, I preferred women. And by this time, my father was mentoring me in the process. Oh, son, what you need to do, if you're going to have more than one girlfriend simultaneously, is be sure that you keep your story straight and uh, keep your pager on vibrate because you don't want this girl finding out about that girl. This was the legacy and the inheritance that I took from my father. 
And I won't share all the sordid details, but I will share this one. There was this one girl, very young girl, 18. She was living with her sister and her sister's husband, who was a staff sergeant in my unit. I worked with this staff sergeant. We got to be very friendly and chummy. He invited me over to the house, and I would spend weekends there sometimes because I was a bachelor in the, in the barracks, and he had a house. It was kind of cool, homemade food. It was awesome. Oh, there was the fact that I slept with his wife, and, and then I slept with this girl, his wife's sister. But other than that, it was a great relationship. Well, when I was done using her, I broke up because my roommate, he liked her. He wanted to date her. Oh, I don't care. Whatever. It's all good. About a month later, I get a phone call. Yeah, hi. I'm pregnant. I don't know if it's yours or Mike's. I don't know what to do. I think I want to get an abortion. Yeah, that's a great idea. When do you want to do that? Needs help paying for that? I'll tell you what, I'll drive you there. I didn't know if it was mine, but I was not going to get caught in that relationship. There was no way, whatever it takes. I drove her to Honolulu, across the mountain, because I was stationed on the windward side. Walked her into the clinic, sat her down. The nurse called her in, and I watched her round the corner. As soon as she disappeared from my sight, I got up, walked out, walked across the street to the Honolulu Mall, right into the food court. Lots of chicks at the food court. Good-looking girls. I found one. It was really cute, and I started talking to her, and I'm trying to get her, her phone number because I wanted to hook up with her. She was going to be my next conquest. While I'm trying to get the phone number for this girl... There's another girl, all alone in the world, lying on her back while the baby within her womb is sucked out of her, ripped limb from limb, because I refused to be the man God created me to be, because I was a coward. I murdered that child. Needless to say, I no longer wanted to serve my country in honor and integrity, Instead, I wanted to serve myself in indulgence. Upon my discharge, I came home to San Antonio, and at the time, my mother and her current boyfriend were living off Coleba Road, just down the street from the Pilgrim Center of Hope. I wonder what would have happened if I would have met Mary Jane and Deacon Tom at that time of my life. Interesting thought. I fell into a deep depression. My father served 21 years in the army. I thought I would be in the military 30 years easy. I didn't know what to do with my life. I was lost. I was confused. I drank heavily when I came home. Spent all my time on booze and strip clubs. Nearly got myself killed one time when my best friend, who was a salesman for Red McCombs, borrowed a car off the lot, and we nearly drove it off an overpass because we were drunk. I thought several times of committing suicide during this point in my life. I wanted to walk out into I-35 and just get it all over. I was hurting, seeking, but there were no answers. But there was lots of porn in my mother's home because her boyfriend was as worse 
or worse off than me. Besides a stopover in Dallas for a short period of time, my sister, who was living in Oklahoma City with her husband, who was in the Air Force, was wanting to fix me. She's a motherly type, and she wanted to give me a new direction. She said, you should come live with me because there's this broadcasting school up here, and I think you'd be great for that. Ooh, chicks dig the cool DJ. That'd be a good idea. Yeah, I'll go to broadcasting school. I'll get a hip job at a radio station, and everybody will love me. That'll be awesome. So I move in. I quickly find her husband's porn because it's pretty easy to, to pick that stuff up when, you're, when you can see someone who lives like you do. Using and abusing. And by this time, the Internet was making it big. AOL was out. Oh, porn on demand. It's great. I graduate broadcasting school, and I thought, you know, I'd never really lived with my father. I, you know, stayed with him for a couple of summers along the way, but we never really lived together. And he's living up there in New Hampshire with his current girlfriend. Yeah, I'll go, I'll go live there. I want a new beginning. I want to start fresh. I'll get a radio job in Boston. That'll be cool. I sold my car. I bought a train ticket with every penny I had and took a train from Dallas to Boston, got off the train in Garden Station, April 1st, 1997. That'd be the day, that'd be the birthday of my future wife. It was fortuitous, I, only I didn't understand why. I moved in with my dad and quickly found his porn stash and used and abused as often as possible. Got two radio jobs. One was at WHOB 106.3 in Nashua at a, at a uh, sort of a modern rock station. I was the morning show co-host and the, the, the news and sports guy. And this girl started calling in because she thought I was funny, you know, and I was digging that. She sounded really cute on the phone, too. And one day, as I'm doing a live broadcast from a pizza joint in Nashua, she shows up. The very first instant I laid eyes on her, I thought, whoa, kind of like Adam in Genesis. Woman, woman. That's exactly how I felt when I saw her. Wow, she's hot. I want to marry her. Instantly, I knew I wanted to marry her. I knew I needed to get my meat hooks into her early because I can't let this one go. She will be all mine. I will not share her with anyone. She's mine. And so I did my old standard play, you know, lie, cheat, steal, manipulate, whatever. I just needed to convince her to marry me. Well, eventually, I proposed to her. And she says, well, if we're going to get married, I'm Catholic. You're going to have to become Catholic, too. Huh. Well, you know, I grew up in the Church of Christ, and they think the Catholics are the whore of Babylon, but, uh, you know, I don't care. Whatever. It's cool. Hey, all roads lead to heaven anyway, right? I mean, there's no, there's no hell. It's just one big social experiment. I don't really care. Whatever it takes to get you locked in. So RCIA is where I ended up. And, you know, I can't believe they tolerated me, honestly. I went back after and asked them how they did it. It must have been a, a real act of penance for them to tolerate me and all the crazy things I probably said. But there was one night where they went over the Beatitudes. And for whatever reason, God allowed me to have like a moment of just sort of clarity where I didn't say anything to anybody, but I'm just sitting there listening to them. Blessed are the poor in spirit. And I'm thinking to myself, 
this is true. I mean, this is not just some abstract concept. Jesus is talking about seeking holiness. He even says that. You, your holiness must exceed that of the Pharisees if you are ever to see the kingdom of God. He says in that same chapter 5, verse 48, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, I had heard all that before in Sunday school, but it didn't register. But that night... It sort of registered. It, you know, God is telling us we have to seek holiness. And then I thought, I am everything opposite of holiness. I am not that. Then I thought, I am not free to seek holiness because I knew what I would do that night. You see, by this time, we had high-speed internet access. Oh, yeah. Broadband came to town, and now there was porn videos on demand on my computer whenever I want at the click of a mouse button, and I did it often. In fact, I had convinced my soon-to-be bride that we should move in together. Oh, yeah. We can't really just get married. No, we got to test drive this thing. I need to know how the toothpaste and the toilet thing is going to work before I commit to a whole marriage here. Oh, and we were having, you know, premarital relations, too, because, you know, you don't, you don't buy a car without test driving it, right? My wife walked in on me when I was masturbating to porn one night. She was devastated, and I didn't understand why. I mean, yeah, I felt shame, but it's not like I was hurting you. I mean, it's just me. I'm just doing this to myself. How does this affect you? I begged her to stay. I begged her to keep the marriage, you know, the proposed marriage. But I never truly understood her hurt. It would be later that that would come. But there in the RCIA class, as I'm thinking about the contrast between seeking holiness and my life and my inability to live out the Beatitudes, I was a slave to sexual license and pornography not free to live a holy life. I thought to myself, it is a darn good thing that I've got a long life to live. Maybe someday down the road in the future I'll, I'll be able to live that holy life. Maybe like right before I die, kind of like Constantine did. You know, right before I punch out, I'll confess it all, go right to heaven. Sweet. Doesn't work that way. What a naive thought. It is a miracle of God I did not die before my conversion took its full effect. Our Lord goes on to say in verse 15, So the young man, so he went and joined himself to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed his swine. And he would gladly have fed on the pods that the swine ate. And no one gave him anything. This is his lowest point. Now, to fast forward, we get married. The priest, he's probably going to be a saint someday for tolerating me. He tried his absolute best to convert me and my wife. But he married us, trusting us into the mercy of God. We buy a house about a month later, and about three months after that, my wife's mother, my wife's sister, and my wife's two brothers move into my house. 
They show up on my doorstep. Hello, we're home. Now, by this point, I had left radio because it didn't really work out like I had dreamed it would. And I started to work for a telecommunications contractor. Needless to say, I was hanging out with some pretty seedy characters. I mean, biker gangs, drugs, you know, alcohol, pornography, all kinds of craziness. So my influences in my professional life were only fostering my already demented worldview. And I resented that my in-laws moved in. This is my home. How dare you move into my home? You guys are lazy. Go get a job. Clean up after yourselves. I would yell and scream and curse at my wife's mother. Needless to say, I was living like a drunken sailor on crack gone out of control on shore leave. And my wife had had enough. Till one day, I lost my job. Now, not only did I not bring home integrity and love and respect and honor, but now I didn't bring home a paycheck either. What good was I? She wrote it out on a piece of paper. You take this, I take that, I want a divorce, we're done. Our Lord then says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, but I perish here with hunger? I will go to my father, and I will say to him, father... I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. On that April day of 2002, I had no one to turn to. I had nothing. No job. My marriage was done. I was about to lose my house. I had nothing. I turned to the one person who I was sure would not be there for me because I had never been there for him. Our Lord goes on to say, And he arose and came to his father. But while he was yet at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced and fell upon his neck and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. I got on my knees that April day, and I had the, my Bible open to Matthew chapter 5, and I was reading the Beatitudes because I didn't know where to turn. I didn't know where to start until I remembered that night at RCIA class. Thinking about those Beatitudes and seeking holiness. And I thought, I'll just read this. And I literally said, God, I cannot do this. I give it to you. You have to do this. And this is going to sound crazy. But in that instant of time... God allowed me to mystically understand things that I did not understand the very instant before. The instant before, I would have told you, no, I was born this way. No, we're all sexual beings. 
I mean, it's okay to look at the menu as long as I'm not tasting the meal, right? I mean, I know that I'm married and all, but checking out chicks, there's nothing wrong with that. It's natural. Masturbation. I mean, we all have organs. It's natural. It's a natural process. I would have made one excuse after another. But in that instant of time, God allowed me, without truly deeply understanding this, he allowed me to just see for a brief moment my need, deep need, to preserve my own sexual integrity, to be pure. Now, we, we see in movies and popular culture the need to hold women up as the, the pure vessel. At the same time, we crush them and treat them like objects, but there's this popular concept of it. You need to be held up as pure. Your purity matters. You can never hold her up unless you're held up. You can't understand her purpose unless you understand your purpose. And God allowed me to see that in that instant of time. Holy smokes, masturbation's wrong. I am destroying my own soul. I have to maintain sexual integrity. And I didn't know what that meant at the time, but I knew it was necessary. And for the first day, I would not masturbate. I would not view pornography. I would avoid the near occasion of sin. He also said to me, without really saying the words, but I understood it, Joe, you've made your bed. Now it's time for you to lie in it. Like the Marine Corps, who wasn't going to force me to do right and wrong, but if I did something wrong, they were going to hold me to the task. So does our Lord, our Father, who once I said to him, give me my inheritance now. He didn't say, what? Go back to your job. No. He said, I split my living and give it to you. He gets out of the way and he lets us go about our way. He lets us hit that brick wall at 100 mile an hour because we will learn the lesson the hard way sometimes. But he said to me, you have broken your marriage. Now you better go beg her to stay because your marriage, it's worth fixing. Your marriage is worth fighting for. But more importantly than that, your marriage is worth suffering for. That was tough. Our Lord said, if you choose to be my disciple, you will take up your cross and you will follow me to Calvary. So I begged her, please stay. I could not expect her to do anything. I knew that she endured me for so long that if this was going to work, it was because I would fight and work and suffer even through years of doubt on her part because I crushed her soul. I crushed her spirit. I had to make up for that. And then our Lord gave me in that instant of time there in April of 2002 an insatiable hunger and a thirst to know him. I didn't know anything about him. I was like, wow, there's a God. And I had to get to know him. So I immediately started to listen to the local Protestant radio station. And I would actually get mad if they didn't preach the word. I mean, if they stopped to tell me the weather or the traffic, I would scream at the radio. I want to hear the word preached. 
even though I was Catholic and even though I attended Mass regularly at that point on, I didn't know anything about it. And my father, who was Protestant, was trying to lead me out of the church. And my neighbor, who was a former Catholic, and who he knows everything about the Catholic Church, let me just tell you, he was trying to lead me out of the church. And I was consuming scripture, and I was on fire to learn. Until one day I said, well, you know, I'm going to leave this Catholic church because it ain't right, you know. I just don't know where to go. Hey, Dad, what should I do? He sent me a book of denominations. Literally, it was this thick, about two and a half inches, three inches. And I looked at this thing, and I said, this is not possible. You cannot have this many flavors of Christianity, all claiming to possess the truth and completely be in disagreement with one another. It scared me. I put down my Bible. I was afraid to, to be influenced by some other source. I didn't know how to read it, and I, I, was, I was really nervous. I prayed to the Holy Spirit to lead me to the true church, and he led me to the early church fathers. And eventually, that process would lead me home fully, my conversion complete from the time I received my sacraments in 1999 till that time in 2002. It was a long journey, but my baptismal graces really kicked in and allowed me to see how Catholic the church was from the very beginning. Our Lord goes on to say, But the Father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and make merry. For this my son was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And they began to make merry. I went to confession after this. And for the first time, I confessed decades of debauchery, of abortion, contraception. I murdered children. I had been wallowing in the mud with the pigs for far too long. And there is no way I deserve to be called a son. But our Lord met me in the confessional. And instead of saying, yeah, you're a slave, he clothed me in his mercy. He put his signet ring on my finger. And instead of being a slave barefoot, he put shoes on my feet. He took away my iniquity because I heard the sweet voice of Jesus. I absolve you. I went in there a slave. I came out a son of the Most High God. This is the mercy of our Father. My story pales in comparison to some of the stories that I've heard and shared with many men across the world. And that is my singular grace to be the donkey upon which Jesus rides, to share this struggle because all of you here struggle with temptation. We can't go to H-E-B without being tempted at checkout. I can't drive down the road without seeing some half-naked lady selling me bubble gum on a billboard. 
Nobody understands it. We seek satisfaction, love, affirmation from Abba, Father. And because of our distorted inheritance from our fathers, we get sucked down in this vortex of debauchery and base graphic images. A complete inverse of the truth. We seek satisfaction, but we only find shame. Well, our Lord takes that shame away in the confessional. He knows you need absolute assurance of his love. And so you can kneel in your bedroom and confess your sins. You'll hear nothing. There'll be no interlocutions, no visions. Be no voice from God, from the cloud. That voice exists in the confessional where the priest stands in persona Christe, in the very person of Christ, the man offers up his body and his faculties to Jesus so that you may hear the voice of God say, I absolve you, you are my son, and I love you. I fall upon your neck and I kiss you. I take away your sin and your baggage. You're a son. That is who you are. I inherited porn from my father. I draw the line in the sand. This far and no further. My sons will not find porn in my home. My daughter will know that she is a daughter of the Most High. She is cherished and she is loved and she is special. She is to be loved. Truly, as John Paul II says... Not just understood by the cold light of reason, but deeply and truly felt. What inheritance have you taken from your father? What inheritance have you passed on to your sons and your grandsons? What are you willing to do today to change it and put an end to it? Abortion exists because we allow it. We men allow it. Pornography exists because we allow it. What will we do to change it? And I'll close with stealing a line from one of my favorite movies. This world wants to lie to you. They want to whisper this sweet temptation in your ear. You're free to do whatever you want. To live it up. Enjoy. That's freedom, man. You're not free to make the wrong choice. God gave you freedom that you might make the right choice, that you might choose the good, the true, and the beautiful. William Wallace stood on the battlefield at Stirling Bridge, looked out upon the vast army of the English, turned to his rather meager Scottish peasants and said, the enemy is, is large. Fight, you may die. Run, you'll live at least a while. But dying in your beds many days from now, will you not give up every day from this day to that for just one chance, just one chance to come back here, to face that enemy, to look him in the eye and say, you may take our lives, but you will never take our freedom. Thank you.